My blood chilled as I came downstairs for breakfast on a Saturday morning and heard the news. A reporter was following the story of an escaped convict, a convict by the name of Barry Marshall. But in the public mind, he was better known by his nickname, Big Red. His string of serial murders had come to be known as the Big Red Killings. The reason for the name was twofold. The term Big came from the fact that Barry Marshall was a very large man, but it also referred to the location of the murders, the Big Apple, New York City. The word Red referred to both his style of killing and his preferred victims. Every one of his victims had been found strung from their feet with slits in their throats. This allowed for the most amount of blood possible to spew out onto the ground below. He drained them like animals to be butchered. As for his preferred victims, he seemed to exclusively target women with red hair. I was more familiar with his motives, his actions, his desires than anyone else. Three years prior, I had been the detective who had finally caught him. It was my collected evidence that brought eight life sentences down on Barry Marshall for his eight murders. And there, in my living room, on an ordinary Saturday, some stranger was telling me that this man had escaped. My wife, who had been pouring pancake batter into a pan, turned to me with a confused expression. And behind the confusion was a shaking terror. I reached for my phone when it started ringing, I answered. Before I even said anything, the frantic voice of my boss said, Todd, I'm sorry you've heard already. I don't know what happened, but... Why the hell did I have to find out from a news station that the man I put away for eight lifetimes is now on the loose? I demanded, with a mix of rage and fear. Todd, I'm so sorry. We're trying to figure that out on our end. No one knows what's going on right now. We thought it was a false report at first, but, well, he really is gone. We're sending protection to your house right now. Just a precautionary measure, of course. But until we find him, you and your family should go somewhere safe. I wanted to yell, but I knew it wouldn't help anything. That's fine. Thanks, Hank. I said without emotion and hung up. I tossed my phone onto the lounge chair by the window and turned to my wife. The rest of the day went by in a blur. Two officers arrived and explained the situation. We would be temporarily moving to a hotel room since we still lived in the same house we had lived in when I had sent Big Red to the state penitentiary. He might have remembered where we lived. The two officers would then remain with us until Big Red was found and returned to his cell. The precaution and the fear all stemmed from the final words uttered by Barry Marshall as he was ushered out of the courtroom. He looked right at me and said, when I get out, they're gonna have to call me Big Blondie. And he laughed. <laughs> Many were confused by this remark, but his statement was clear to me. It was a direct threat on my wife and daughter, who both had blonde hair. The implication being that he would depart from his ordinary list of victims just to seek revenge on me. It took everything I had to remain calm for my wife and daughter. Fortunately, my five-year-old was too young to understand the situation and be afraid. As we tossed and turned in our hotel bed that night, I realized that in the panic, I had forgotten my phone. I needed to feel some level of control and normalcy, so I got out of bed and headed for my car. I was stopped by one of our guards, and he told me that there was no chance he would let me go back to my home that night. However, he agreed to go and recover my phone for me. Reluctantly, I returned to bed. I fell into a restless sleep. The next morning, the officer informed me that he had not found my phone, but more importantly, there had been a break-in at my home. The window had been shattered, but nothing inside seemed to be disturbed. He warned me not to jump to any conclusions, but I already knew that it had to be Big Red. I rummaged through the bag I had brought to the hotel room. A sigh of relief escaped my lips when I found that I had at least brought my work phone. I unlocked it. The phone was connected to my personal phone. 
and I opened the Find My Phone app. A location popped up. I stared. I hadn't expected it to work, but there it was. I don't know why Big Red had stolen my phone, but now we could head straight for him. I called my boss. He answered. Hey, Todd. Good to hear from you. How did the relocation go? I hope that... Hank, I interrupted. I have him. I know where he is. You... What? Big Red. He broke into my home and stole my phone. I don't know why, but I am tracking his location right now for my work phone. I... Todd, we don't even know for sure that he's the one who broke into your house. You're not really going to pass this lead up, are you? I asked, my anger steadily rising. No, of course not. I'll head to the location right away. I just don't want you... I'm coming with you. No, Todd, absolutely not. I know him better than anyone, Hank. Please, he's threatening my family. I have to do this. I won't do anything stupid, but I have to come. After a bit more back and forth, Hank finally agreed to let me come with him and a small team of officers who would search the location. They picked me up at the hotel and I assured my family that I would be safe as I said goodbye. We tracked the location of my phone to an old warehouse, but as we neared, the location suddenly disappeared. My personal phone had stopped transmitting its location. I began to sweat for fear that Big Red would get away. We reached the warehouse and the team of officers kicked the door in. I followed shortly after with Hank. The warehouse was completely empty, except for the horror in the middle of the room. Dangling from the ceiling was a woman. She was hanging from her feet. Her neck was slit. A massive puddle of blood pooled beneath her head. The red blood matched her red hair. A bit behind the puddle was a message crudely written in blood. The message said, still red, for now. But who's next, Todd? My heart was pounding. I wasn't sure if I was angry or terrified, but I knew what the message meant, and I had been right. The message was a promise that he would kill again, and this time, he might target my wife and daughter. Big Red had stolen my phone, and he was using it to toy with me. He had led me to his victim, but made sure that he would be gone by the time I arrived. Hank called in an investigation team to comb the warehouse and surrounding area for any evidence that might lead to Big Red. Go back to your family, Todd, Hank said. I'm sorry you had to see this. I don't want you anywhere near this case anymore. But the location, I blurted. We can track him. I can help you find him. I linked it to my phone, Hank said. I'll keep checking to see if a location pops up, but I doubt we'll catch him that way. We need to get ahead of him. He's too smart to give up his location on accident. If we follow it, we'll probably just barely miss him like we did this time. But I need to come with you. I need to catch him, Hank. I... No, Hank said sternly. You need to go back to your family because your family needs you. Please, Todd, don't make this difficult. I turned back to the upside down woman in the middle of the large room. Dried blood completely covered her face. It curved around her lips and into her gaping mouth, which was frozen in a scream of terror. I couldn't help but imagine my wife's face, my daughter's face, frozen with that same expression, covered in that same blood. I nodded at Hank. Okay, I'll go back. Hank squeezed my shoulder. We'll get him, Todd, I promise. I forced a smile and headed back to a patrol car that returned me to the hotel that had become a prison to my family and I. Big Red's sadistic freedom was imprisoning us. We wouldn't be free until he wasn't. Back at the hotel, I embraced my wife and daughter tightly. My wife couldn't hold back anymore, and she began to sob. This frightened our daughter and caused her to sob as well. I continued to hold them until their tears stopped. Eventually, they found a bit of distraction by watching a game show on the hotel television. But I was checking my work phone, opening and closing the Find My iPhone app repeatedly. I eyed my bag. Inside was a gun. 
not the gun I used at work. Hank had not let me keep that. In my bag was a personal weapon, and the second I saw a location appear on my work phone, I would go and do what I needed to do to protect my family. But things didn't go the way I had expected. In fact, things didn't go the way anyone had expected. That night, a location appeared on my phone. It revealed that my personal phone was just outside our hotel room. Big Red was there. I cursed myself for being so stupid. I had been tracking my personal phone, but Big Red had been tracking my work phone. He knew exactly where we were. I jumped from the bed and reached into my bag when a gunshot rang into the night. I opened the hotel room door. It was over. Both guards had their guns drawn. A small wisp of smoke rose from one of the barrels. In the middle of the hotel courtyard was Big Red. He was flat on his back, a hole in the center of his forehead. In his left hand, he held a knife. In his right hand, he clutched my phone. Blood poured out the back of his head and pooled around him like it had for all his victims. I stared. I should have felt relieved. It was all over. Barry Marshall was dead. But a dreadful array of confused thoughts flooded my mind. Why had he come here like this? He had basically given himself up. He was a smart man who had avoided capture for years. He had escaped a maximum security prison. He had rushed the hotel courtyard to hurt my family, but he must have known he would be shot down. He must have known that there was no hope of reaching us. His dead face bore a hideous, nightmarish smile. I suddenly understood. He was smiling because he had won. I wasn't free now that he was dead. I was imprisoned in my own shame and failure. He had brutally murdered a woman just to get back at me. My name had been written with her blood, and he had known where my family was hiding due to my own stupidity. He had been in complete control, and he wanted me to know that. He wanted me to know that there was no freedom for me, even though he was dead. I thought I could hear laughter emanating from the smiling corpse, and that laughter would follow me for the rest of my life. We kissed again on the park bench. I ran my hands through her hair and pulled her close against me. The night was warm and still. We had ended up at a bench far away from the streetlights so as to avoid any unwanted attention from onlookers. Carly pulled away from me for a moment and smiled. I really like you, she said. I couldn't help but smile back. I really like you too. Why did it take so long for us to get together like this? She asked and gently placed a hand on my upper thigh. Probably because you always thought I was an asshole, I said, and we both laughed. (laughs) Yeah, I did, she said, and we kept laughing. Hey, you don't have to be so quick to agree with me. Well, she began, you have been an asshole. I think you know that as well as I do, but I want to believe that there is more to you than that. She wrapped her arms around me and rested her head on my shoulder. I looked up at the stars. Yeah, I said, I can be a real jerk sometimes. I'm trying to be better about that though. That's all anyone can ask of you, Carly said with a rasp of tiredness in her voice. We sat like that for a while longer and I felt a sense of contentment rising in me that I hadn't felt for a long time. Well, I finally said, breaking the silence. I need to get home. I have a bio test tomorrow. Can't risk losing my football scholarship, you know. Carly nodded. Yeah, Jenna is actually almost here anyway. We're going to get some food or something. You mean I don't get to take you home? I asked while making puppy dog eyes. Next time, she said, and kissed me again. Jenna pulled up at the edge of the park. I said goodbye to Carly and headed to my car with a joyful lightness in my step. I drove home absent-mindedly. I was tired and happy, and my brain didn't have energy to think about much. I arrived at my childhood home 
and wandered upstairs to my bedroom. I had been living with my parents for the first two years of university to save money. Some days it was a nuisance to have them always hanging over my shoulder and treating me like a kid, but they were gone on vacation and I was glad to have the whole house to myself. I brushed my teeth and then lay down on my bed. I reached for my phone to send a goodnight text to Carly and tell her how happy I was to be seeing her. My phone wasn't in my pocket. I checked the pockets of my sweatshirt that I had tossed on the floor. It wasn't there either. I ran down to my car and began searching in between the seats in case it had fallen out while driving. Damn it, I muttered to myself. It was nowhere. I remembered that my iPad was connected to the Find My iPhone app and I quickly ran upstairs to find it. I opened the lock screen in the app and waited for it to load. Checking the location, I saw that my phone was out of the park. It must have fallen out while we were kissing. The app suddenly updated. It showed that my phone was on the move. It was heading quickly down a street as if it was in someone's car. Maybe Carly had grabbed my phone by accident. I opened up a social media app and sent a message to Carly. Hey, do you have my phone with you? Considering I had a major test the next day, I decided that it wasn't worth it to try and track my phone down that night. Carly didn't respond right away, so I cleared my mind and went to sleep. The next morning, I woke up and saw a message from Carly. No, why, did you lose it? Panic pricked the back of my neck. Had some stranger taken my phone from the park? I didn't even have much time to worry about it, and I decided I would track my phone down after I finished my test. After showering, I placed my books and my iPad into my bag, grabbed an apple that would be my breakfast, and ran out the door. Arriving at my university, I would desperately search for a parking spot close to the science labs. As usual, the campus was full to bursting, and my frustration steadily increased as I rounded the parking lots. At last, I decided to park in the reserved faculty parking spots. The chances that the campus patrol would actually notice was low, and even if I did get a ticket, that would be better than being late to my exam. I jogged from my car to the science labs and lunged up the stairs, clearing three steps at a time. I entered the classroom with a minute to spare and sat down heavily at one of the empty desks. Our professor went over how the test would be graded and handed out the stapled sheets of paper to us. While I was filling in a multiple choice section, I felt the iPad in my backpack vibrate. Curiosity rose in me, but I wasn't going to risk receiving a zero for cheating, so I continued to focus on my test. Many of my peers finished before me. I was careful to go over my answers, so I was one of the last to leave. Finally, I handed in my exam, feeling confident in my answers. Back in the hallway, I slipped my iPad from my bag. There was a notification from the Find My iPhone app. It said that my phone was nearby. I zoomed into the map and saw that it was located in the faculty parking lot. Confusion consumed me. Had it been in my car all along? No, it was somewhere else last night, that was certain. So, a professor had my phone? Or another student who was running late? I sprinted back down to the parking lot to try and reclaim my phone. When I reached the lot, I checked my iPad again to find the exact location, but my phone was gone. Not just gone from the parking lot, it no longer showed a location anywhere. I awkwardly spun in a circle, glancing around, but not sure what I was looking for. I supposed that if my phone battery had died, then it would stop sending a location. And if that was the case, how would I ever find it again? But someone had it, someone who went to the same university I did. Opening my iPad, I logged onto my university social media page. I posted a message asking if anyone had seen my phone and gave the details of my phone type and what its case looked like. Not sure what else I could do, I messaged Carly if she wanted to meet tonight. 
and I headed back to my house. At home, I made myself a proper lunch. Carly messaged me that she would love to see me that night, and I told her she could come over to my place since my parents were gone. There was still an uneasiness in my stomach. I didn't like not knowing where my phone was. It felt like something very personal was now exposed out in the open. I headed to my local gym. A good workout always took my mind off things. Since I usually used my phone for music, I had to connect my headphones to my iPad. I was in the middle of an intense workout when the music cut out due to the sharp ding of a notification. Immediately, I pulled my iPad from my bag. It was the app. My phone was nearby again. It was just outside my gym. Again, I sprinted outside. I kept the app open and frantically tried to orient myself toward the location of my phone. There were too many people moving in and out of cars, too many cars pulling in and out of spots. Could this still be a coincidence? Plenty of students at my university went to this gym, but first they were right outside of my bio class and now the gym. I checked the iPad. The location was gone again. My phone hadn't died. Someone had turned off the location services and turned it back on. How? Wouldn't they have to unlock my phone to do that? As I turned around, I saw Brian Yearly, a nerdy kid who I hadn't been overly kind to in the past. A kid, I'm sure, who could hack an iPhone. A kid who was in my bio class. Without thinking, I ran over to him and grabbed him by the shoulder. He looked surprised. Alex? He questioned. Are you doing this? I blurted. Doing what? Don't play dumb. If you have my phone, you better give it back before I... Before you what? You gonna give me another black eye? People were staring. I regained my composure, and without explaining myself, I headed back to my car. Asshole, Brian muttered as I left. At home, I rested on my couch and waited for Carly. She arrived around seven, just as it was getting dark. Seeing her was enough to get my mind off my technological worries. I immediately pulled her in for a kiss. Good to see you too, she said. We went up to my bedroom and chatted about our days, but I didn't mention the incident with my phone. I didn't want to think about it. We were making out on my bed when Carly paused. Oh, she began, breathlessly. Did you ever find your phone? A sharp ding escaped my backpack. My heart skipped a beat. I jumped across the room and ripped my iPad from the bag. It reported that my phone was just outside my house. At that moment, an engine roared and tires squealed. I ran out my front door, but I couldn't make out the vehicle that sped away. There, in the middle of the road, was my phone. I approached it cautiously. The fact that this person had known where I lived was upsetting enough, but what I saw on my phone made me sick. It was a sticky note. On the sticky note were four numbers, 0864. It was my phone's passcode. Under the numbers was a note that read, we know what you did, asshole. My mind went frantic. Anger exploded inside me. It was my natural defense against fear. My rageful mind turned toward Carly. She had hated me only a week before, and she had been with me when my phone disappeared. Was she doing something to get back at me? I ran upstairs and flung my bedroom door open. Carly stared. Is it you? I screamed. What? Carly <laughs> asked and laughed. That laugh was too much. Get out, I yelled. What is wrong with you? You're acting crazy. Get out, I shouted again. Carly quickly ran downstairs and out to her car. I thought I heard her giggling on the way out, but I couldn't be sure. I felt dizzy. My vision blurred. A long parade of guilt and shame marched through my mind. I thought of everyone I had hurt, everyone who had the right to call me an asshole. It was a long list. The weaker guys I had bullied, the girls I had used and discarded like garbage, the girls I had hurt when my anger had overwhelmed me as it often did. The note had said, we. Was there a group of people who had banded together to get revenge on me? They knew my schedule. They knew where I lived, and I knew nothing. 
I didn't know who they were or what they wanted or what they were planning. I fell to the floor and began to cry. That was the worst part, that I couldn't have any closure. For the rest of my life, I might have to be looking over my shoulder, wondering what this all meant. And as the ghosts of my angry past continued to float into my mind, I realized I deserved it. I was an asshole who deserved whatever was coming. Thanks for listening. To get notified every time a new episode is released, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button and turn on all notifications.